0: morning good morning this is attorney Vincent Davis this is get your kids back now this show is dedicated to keeping families together and fighting CPS and DCFS social workers a secondary purpose of this show is to educate parents and relatives or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight the final purpose of the show is to remind the people the change can be effectuated at the ballot boxes, at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes. Good morning. Today we have a very special show. In the second half of the show, around 8.30 a.m., uh, we are having a special guest. His name is Mr. Terry Greenstein, Mr. Greenstein uh, was a social worker for, I believe, over a decade with the uh, county of Riverside, and he was a CPS social worker. He has now uh, decided decided to leave the agency, and he works on his own, primarily in a consulting practice where he consults with attorneys and families on how to defeat Child Protective Services. I've used Mr. Greenstein in a few cases w- where I have gone to juvenile court to get children back, <clears throat> Excuse me. and I've also used him in several cases where I'm suing social workers in the uh, federal court. I use him as an expert to testify to the level of competence and standard of care of social workers in civil rights cases. Um, so that will be in our second half hour. Today I want to talk about a case that I'm um, currently working on in another county in Northern California. It's a very interesting case, and, and these are the facts. A woman who has, I believe, three children, and she gave birth child, a baby. And because at the hospital the nurses thought she was acting a little odd after having a baby... Uh, they decided to call the social workers for the county in which they lived and then to send her to a psychiatric hospital. The woman gets to the psychiatric hospital, and within about 8 to 10 hours, they decide there's nothing wrong with her, and they let her go. And she goes home, but her children have all been taken into custody by the social workers in this particular county. And they file a case against her that her children are, you know, in danger because of her mental or emotional health. And they file this case, the children away from her. And I wasn't on the case at first, but I'm um, on the case now. And we're heading towards what's called the Adjudication and Disposition hearing. If you get a chance ever to download my book from my website or you purchase it on Amazon or you get a hold of a link to my book, I, I suggest that everyone listening uh, read that book. It's about 70 pages. It was written for parents and for relatives who are trying to get children out of the system. One of the things that the social worker um, is saying is that my client was hallucinating because. She claimed to know the son of a very famous politician, uh, a national politician. And if I said the politician's name, you would immediately recognize uh, the name. But for purposes of confidentiality, I'm not going to mention the name here. Well, it turns out she does know the son. She is very good friends with him. And was even uh, involved in social and business relationships, particular son. And the social workers had also said in reports that the mother's claim to know this particular national politician was an, <clears throat> another sign of her hallucination, when in turn she does know this person. And I appeared on, on the case recently at flown Up to Northern California And I had a letter from the son, and with all of his contact information, and then my client also had provided me color pictures of her and the son, and the son with her and her children. You know, many, many, many many of these pictures um, that have been taken over the past few years. And when I mentioned that I wanted this particular witness to be uh, interviewed by the social worker, you should have seen the look on the people's faces in the courtroom because it turned out that my client wasn't hallucinating about her relationship with this politician and her son. Everybody sat by surprise. One of the other things was that um, the social worker is using or trying to use is that my client is hallucinating because my client had told the social worker in passing that she owns some very expensive real estate apartment building in the Bay Area and the the social worker said, well, you know, obviously she's hallucinating. She doesn't own those types of things. Well, I presented a declaration to the court from my client's real estate attorney who basically said that it's all true and I asked the court to order the social worker to interview that real estate attorney who's also in the Bay Area about you know my client's real estate transactions. I had a chance a couple of weeks to review the um, medical records for my client from uh, the psychiatric facility where they let her go after eight to 10 hours of testing. And the records say basically that, you know, there's nothing wrong with the client kind of in a derogatory way. You know how that can happen. Well, there's nothing wrong with you, but there might be something wrong with you. Anyway, the records that, are, that my client received from the facility are different from the records that the social worker has presented to the court. Now, there's a couple of problems with that. Number one, my client never signed a release to release her records to anyone. So we're wondering how the social worker got these records. The next thing we're wondering is we're wondering why the diagnosis page of the medical records has handwriting on it. So let me give you an example. The copy of the medical records that my client has with the diagnosis page is all typed in. And then has an electronic signature and date of the judge, me, of the um, psychiatrist or psychologist who is examining her in the psychiatric facility. <clears throat> but the copy that's um, submitted to the court has in the area handwritten a handwritten mental diagnosis. Now, if you just look at the records, and I'm trying to get in touch with the doctor, um, the records give a diagnosis in handwriting of a serious mental condition. However, the official typed version doesn't do that. So my client is alleging that someone, maybe the social worker, who knows, has written in and altered these medical records to use against her in a a case to justify the taking of her children. Now, there's another strange thing that's going on on this case. Um, it seems that this particular county and social worker is fighting the placement of the children with what they call friends or relatives. Um, Two of my client's friends, uh, they're older. Um, My client's probably in their mid to late 30s. But two of her friends who are, you know, my age, late 50s, early 60s, uh, keep coming to the hearings, and they're very... um, You know, I've talked to them. They're very well-to-do people who live in the Bay Area. Um, They're both married, married to different people, but they keep coming to these hearings. And they've told the social workers that um, they would take, either one of them would take some or all of the children on a long-term basis uh, to care for the children. The children aren't being placed there. And when I talk to both of these people independently, um, you know, I've talked to them about their homes, their backgrounds, their jobs, their financial conditions. These are, um, for lack of a better description, very rich, educated people who have the means to take care of these children. <clears throat> one of uh, the excuses given to one of the rel- uh, friends of the family was <clears throat> you, you can't afford to take care of the children without a public assistance. And to get public assistance, you must go through this long process. Well, this friend, this woman told me, and so did the gentleman, that they didn't need the money to take care of the children, that they could independently take care of the children. Another strange thing happened in the courtroom. Now, remember, the kids were taken away from my client because my client uh, allegedly has a mental or emotional condition. And by the way, when I talk to her, she seems fine. Uh, She's a little upset that these, you know, her children have been taken away from her. But, you know, when I talk to her about the case and strategies and things to do, you know, there's no problem. I've been doing this. I've been an attorney, excuse me, for 31 years. And, you know, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. But sometimes I, you know, I have the feeling, well, there might be something wrong here. But I do not have that feeling at all with this particular client. And so it, it just it's bothering me now. I, when I was recently in court, I informed the court that my client wanted to provide all medical um, services and dental services to the children uh, through her own private insurance and her own um, out of her own pocket, and not use county uh, supplied documents or doctors and dentists and uh, You know, the courtroom went silent when I mentioned that because I would bet, I I don't know for sure, that that's probably the first time anyone in the courtroom has ever heard of such a thing because my client has the financial needs to take care of those things. And although the county wanted to fight me on it, I mean, they—they, you know, what could they say? Uh, They wouldn't have to use public money and, you know, the children would be well taken care of. Interestingly enough, all of the children are not placed together. I think the two oldest ones are placed together. Uh, The next child is placed by him or herself in a foster home. And then, of course, there was the baby who's placed in another foster home. So there's four children in all. Now that I'm thinking about it, not three, there's four children in all. Now they come to court saying that they want to place all of the children or have them evaluated for mental or emotional conditions. And when I ask for proof under declaration of penalty of perjury, or you know, or they could do it by way of getting on the witness stand and testifying. I told the judge there's no emergency that I see here, so there's no emergency jurisdiction. The court doesn't have jurisdiction over the children yet because the disposition and jurisdictional hearing haven't been completed, so we're against any order of these children being uh, evaluated. And I think that's the first time they might have heard that in the court as well. But um, the court ordered that the department, if they had something, you know, to apply for it with, a, you know, a description and declaration of penalty of perjury before she would sign any order. And I, of course, get a copy of that so I can... Um, uh, refute it. So the, in the argument in front of the court, the, the social workers attorney acknowledged that there's nothing wrong with any of the children except that third oldest child, the boy who's placed by himself. When we went outside, I learned that there is some issue with the boy because he's distraught that he's not with his family not with his mother. So it seems that they're going to take this and try to turn it into a mental condition that the child has, because I actually think they want to give him some type of psychotropic medication and treatment. <clears throat> and there's a reason, a lot of reasons why, you know, uh, conspiracy theories I have about that. But that's a whole other topic for a whole other occasion. Suffice it to say that um, I don't think that this at least three of the children don't need mental uh, or emotional counseling. Uh, one probably does, but the cause of his issues are not being with his mother. I am going to, uh, at this point, stop this story because we're backing up on the calls here. And I do have a call coming in, coming in from that special guest. So hold on. Let me do something right here. All right, so the first call that I'm going to take is from area code 562, ending in 1-2. Good morning, you're on with Attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a question to ask or a story to tell? Good morning, you're on with Attorney Vince Davis. Good morning.
1: Hi. How are you? I'm blessed, how are you? i sitting here kind yeah, of tearing yeah. up listening to what you're talking about. My, my name is Angela Smith. Oh, we don't use names. I'm sorry, but okay,
0: we uh, we, we want to keep everything confidential. And okay. Did you have a story to tell or a question to I ask actually this have morning a story my, to tell. Go ahead. We're live uh,
1: on I, the radio. Okay. I'm a paternal grandmother to eight children in the foster care system, uh, five of which I've actually had placed at my home at one point in time. Uh, At this point, the kids are here, have been here almost two years. Uh, I have a granddaughter that was with me for 14 months, and I pleaded with the system to try to get her help because being here, I could see she had some mental issues going on, and nothing was done up until she was actually removed, and then she was diagnosed with bipolar. I had five kids here in my home that had disabilities, uh, three D-rates, one with uh, ADHD and the other one with uh, challenges actually came into my home from regional center. Uh, turned three a couple of months after being placed here, and then they just dropped the ball on him. So I basically have been putting in the footwork to help my grandkids get through this system. Uh, which, by the way, they've been in in this particular case for seven years. I uh, got the kids in 2017, and I've been threatened by the workers basically for saying that I needed time to get Myself back together. I took a three day vacation on my birthday, and I was threatened that they would remove the youngest child that was in my home at that time because they didn't feel comfortable with who I was going to leave the children with. However, the kid is still here, fine, and he was with the person that they weren't comfortable with. The other part of that is I had to remove two of my granddaughters out of my home because of. The lack of services that they were receiving, and the behaviors was jeopardizing all the kids been in my house. I am willing to take each and every last kid it's eight kids on this case, and they have three still in the system. Mom has since got the two daughters and uh they're being treated at her home but mom also has disabilities and I don't even see that lasting long but you know that's what they're doing but me as the grandmother for these children you know just wanted the best for them. so anything that happened for them I put the footwork in uh, basically having to call legal aid to just get the regional center service start back for the uh, now four-year-old and You know, I don't know what else to do, but, you know, there's two other children that I'm trying to get. They're not placed. uh, Well, one, for instance, is a six-year-old, and he's been with a Hispanic family. That's fine and wonderful as far as that part goes, but he's a black child, and he hasn't even been around his own culture. According to my training, which they say we have to do, the training says that he needs to experience his own culture being a child, you know, of of Uh, african-american per se the other one is a child that was placed with his sisters uh 20 month old and he's still in the same placement where his two sisters were actually removed uh because of the person uh getting allegations against the the girls um behaviors you know so my, my my problem is You know, I just recently asked them to remove one of the kids here in my home because, you know, I've been dealing with these kids for for two years and the behavior uh, isn't getting better you know they medicate all these kids and then they don't follow up with what the medications are doing for the children I've been reporting that the medications don't work you know uh, what else can we do and basically they just drop the ball and tell me to redirect so I'm 58 years old and, and, and you know this is not something that I had planned to do however they needed me so I end up you know, letting my life go to take care of these kids, and only to be treated like I'm the one that put them in the system in the first place. So, I don't, you know, no. I just needed to tell somebody that understands the system. This, this is coming out of the Antelope Valley social workers, and as far as I'm concerned, if none of them have been any help for my grandkids, you know. And and it's, it's sickening and heartbreaking to think, you know, you see your, your grandkids before they go into the system as kids playing and having fun, and then when you get them, every last one of them is on medication. You know, how does that happen when, you know, they were with normal kids when they went in and then all of a sudden everybody's taking a pill, you know. So it's just a lot going on with this case, and and you know I could talk forever, uh, you know telling you stories that's gonna happen. But at the end of the day, I I was seeking someone that could help me try to figure out what I need to do because now the case is coming to a close and they're not trying to place the two younger kids with me because they're not my paternal I mean my biological grandkids. But there is one here that's already not my biological grandkid and he's doing fine and he's got his services. He's in school, you know, he's talking now. He couldn't even talk when he came to my home, you know, so I I don't understand what the problem is as far as that part goes. If I'm willing to take them, why can't I get them? I have the adequate space for them. I have beds already purchased for them, you know. And it's it's just like we do what we want to do when we want to do it. And the the reasoning they're telling me that they don't want to place the kids is because uh, they're closer to their mom, you know. But mom is not going to get them. I've been in mom's life. Since before she started having babies, she has requested that those kids be placed with me because she wants her children together. And the system itself is saying, "Well, we're going to do it the way we want to do it." Okay. So
0: um, hold on a second. So you want to get your number one concern right now is getting two of the grandchildren, who are who are not biologically your grandchildren, placed with you, so that they'll be with all the siblings. And the mother yes. supports that. Okay, yes. so let me let me tell you how to do that. Do you have a pen and a piece of paper?
1: Yes. I'm ready. Okay. So I was a little bit
0: confused. You said the case is about to end. Why do you think it's about to end?
1: Well, they're afraid to uh, start uh, putting the kids up for uh, uh, adoption and 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 guardianship. Um, okay. and, and then I, when I say in, that's what I mean.
0: Okay, so you're going to have to move fast on this, all right? Yes. First, The first thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to file a de facto motion regarding those two grandchildren. Mm-hmm. So just right. Number one, de facto. Now, here's a mm-hmm. problem. When you talk to a lot of attorneys who even practice in this area, they're going to tell you, but they might tell you that you're not entitled to file a de facto motion because you've never taken care of those children. If mm-hmm. they tell you that, you will, they will be telling you something that's incorrect, and then you tell them that you want to file something called a Charles S. motion, de facto motion for relatives.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There's this little known or forgotten case in California that says that you can have standing in a case, if you're a relative that has interest in the children, that would mean you.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Now, relative is defined uh, differently in uh, the juvenile dependency system. And depending on who you talk to, you would be considered a relative or you might not be considered a relative. I think within the Juvenile Context and the California Welfare and Institutions Code, for purposes of placement, that you would be considered a relative or what they call a nephrim, a non-extended family member. And they kind of have the same standing and rights in the juvenile court. The second thing and the most important thing you want to do is you want to file what's called a 388 petition. That is a a form where you fill out and you uh, provide a declaration and evidence and pictures or whatever to the judge to say, hey, judge, I want to change something about this child's case. Specifically, I want, you know, custody and or visitation of the child.
1: hmm
0: Now, you have a unique position because you actually have siblings of the child placed with you. Yeah. Be they, half, they might be half siblings, but in juvenile law, a half and a whole sibling are considered the same. Mm-hmm those children probably have rights to have the child or these two children placed with you as well. So you might want to call, number three, you might want to call the attorney for those children and say, hey, uh, you know, I have these children placed with me and each of them wants the siblings uh, placed with them in your home. Mm -hmm. And those attorneys uh, may be able to assist you as well. Okay. The third thing that you should do, the third thing you should do is you should file a petition to disclose all of the records uh, of the of these two children to you. There may be evidence in there uh, that you need to know. Sometimes there's evidence in these files that you know where they're talking about you in a negative way, and since you don't know anything about it, you can't stand up and say, "Hey, judge, you know." The lady said, I'm a convicted mass murderer. That's not Mm -hmm.
1: true. Yes.
0: And Mm -hmm. here's my proof. So you need to get those records and disclose that as well. The next Mm -hmm. thing you should do is, uh, and this is a little bit provocative, um, there are a lot of people who uh, disagree with me on this issue, judges included, but I think that you should file petitions for legal guardianship and permanent. Mm Mm-hmm. In my, in my opinion, that triggers a lot of other things that I think will be helpful for you in getting the children placed with you and or getting visitation with you. Mm-hmm. The final thing that you or any relative can file, and it's very simple, although I haven't seen any hearings regarding it, and I haven't really seen anybody address this in the courtroom um, because it's so unusual. And I, I don't think most people know about it. It's called a JV-285. JV-285, mm-hmm. if you Google it um, and you're in California, the form will come up. And it's a very simple formula to be filled out by non-attorneys, one of the few forms that can be filled out by non-attorneys, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. It uh, informs the judge of everything you want with respect to that particular child.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So when you, I don't have the form in front of me, but just Google it. You, you, the form okay. will come up, and usually okay. a fillable PDF will appear on the on, 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 you know, when you click it on on, on the internet, and you can just fill yeah. it out and send it in. You got to file mm-hmm. it, keep a copy with you, uh, proof that you filed it.
3: But those are all mm-hmm. of the
0: things that you need to do. Now, notwithstanding the last thing I said that you could do that on your own, I don't suggest that you do any of the other things on your own. I suggest that you find a lawyer that can, be, that can help you uh, because a lot of these things need to be filled up by lawyers, um, yes. you know, because they're, they're familiar with the rules of evidence, they're familiar with the rules of you know civil procedure, the local rules and the rules that you know control juvenile dependency. You know let's not forget it is the Los Angeles or whatever county you're in. For you, it'd be the Los Angeles Superior Court. And there are rules that you have to follow with respect to procedure, evidence, and other things. So you're going to need to have an attorney assist you. If you can't afford an attorney, some courts, although they don't do this very much anymore, some courts will appoint you a lawyer. Okay. okay. Uh, you, you might be able to get a court-appointed lawyer, um, but if you're not, you're going to have to hire one. And if you can't afford to hire one to do everything for you, at least talk to someone and consult with someone or hire them, you know, on a consulting basis so that they can assist you in preparing these papers. Now here's um, the thing. Here's the, here's a little trick. If you're granted a hearing on these things that I've told you to file, you're going to definitely need a lawyer unless you have some type of legal experience and are familiar with uh, procedure and evidentiary rules in the superior court of California in juvenile dependency cases.
1: And I don't. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, so you're definitely going to have to have someone. Um,
1: and I okay. was quoted, you know, 9,500 because of the case and how many people are involved in the case. And honestly, because at the end of the day, you know, these kids actually were with me nine months, five children, that I didn't even get paid for. You know, they they... Says the RFA new rules says that it goes from time of approval versus time of placement, and at the end, I mean, you know, the, I was actually approved before the kids came in, but as the kids started to come, they start pushing the, I mean, you know, the approval back, and and the person that actually approved my home uh, in January basically told me that once the kids came in, then they had to start from that point again to reapprove my home but beds and and things were here, already here before the kids even entered my home because I wanted to ensure that everything was taken care of before that happened so I could get the kids faster but once the kids were placed here it took them 9 months to approve my home and for the 9 months that they were here I had didn't get any payment well,
0: that's
1: a whole other thing. yeah one they – they owe, they owe you that money. Well, they said that because they stopped in 2017 that I would never get it. And I actually was taken, I mean, brought in by Children of Alliance to Sacramento to to, you know, fight for that and it was approved for 2017 for the people you know that were just getting kids on on the case but I didn't get approved and they told me that I didn't qualify for it so I mean you know you have to do what you have to do I mean the kids were here what was I going to do I wasn't going to get rid of them because they weren't paying me but you know I I struggled like heck those first nine months trying to take care of five kids you know and As a result, you know, it's just, like I said, I'm just kind of overwhelmed with what this system is providing for these kids. And then one of the kids that I'm speaking of that I'm telling you that I would like to get placed here, mom is basically telling me that this is my biological grandson, and I've only seen him twice, I've seen him twice at court, and... Because he was two or whatever when he was uh, taken into custody, they said they don't test two-year-olds. So he may be my biological grandson, and I have no clue. Well,
0: whoever told you they they don't test two-year-olds told you something that was incorrect. That
1: was the attorneys.
0: Attorneys
1: voice On the case for the children when I asked, you know, what this might be my, you know, when I wanted to get them initially up front, because out of this case, six, well, five and possibly number six are my biological grandchildren. It's only two kids, that, and one of those kids are already placed with me. You know, so at the end of the day, one is possibly my biological grandson, and the other one is a extended family member. And, and you know, if they take those kids and, and, and adopt them out, I would never know that. You know what I mean? So that's the other problem that I'm having.
0: Okay. Do you still have your pen and piece of paper? Yes. I'm going to give you a telephone number to call after 9.30 today, mm-hmm. and I want you to call this number, and I want you to make an appointment to speak to me personally. You don't have mm-hmm. to come into the office, We can talk on the phone, and I can tell you some of the things that you need to, to get done, because that, what you just told me, opens up mm-hmm. a whole nother can of worms that I don't, you know, I can't address on the show. So here's yeah. your telephone number.
1: first
0: number H8, six eight eight? No. It's eight eight eight. Uh-huh. 8, eight 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 six five eight two. Triple H Triple H six five eight two. Six five eight two. Eight 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 so
1: six 8 8 8 five eight
0: two. Okay. There's two sets of triple eight.
1: So, so, okay,
0: so okay. You know, when I got that number, I thought that I would have this problem. <laughs>
1: okay. Yeah, that was hard it's, to figure out. <laughs>
0: it's here. Listen to this. It's triple eight, triple eight, six five eight two.
1: I got it. Eight 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 six five eight two. That's it. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> that's it. Now, okay. now you call that number and you make an appointment after nine thirty to speak with me and uh I'll tell you some of the things that you need to do in further detail Because okay. that part okay. about the kids might be in your grandchildren, that's opened up a whole nother can of worms. Yeah. And um you know. All right. Well thank you very much for calling. Um and thank
1: you for listening because <laughs> I I just didn't know who else to talk to.
0: Alright, we'll keep listening and uh, you know, if you ever have any other questions you can call back in. But
1: I hope to okay, talk to thank you not too much. Okay, thank, thank you. you. Bye.
0: Okay, that was a interesting call. And that last the most interesting thing about it. Now, We're running out of time in today's show. My producer is passing me notes. Um, I'm going to take our special guest caller right now. Let me see if I can get him on the line. Good morning, Terry. Are you there? Good morning. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing very well. I would say a long time no 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 see, but I saw you in court the other day.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, an exciting day. Terry, do me a favor. Tell our listeners something about your background. Uh,
2: okay. I have been working in the mental health field since 1985, specializing in working with children and chemical dependencies. Um, But I spent 14 years working for Riverside County Child Protective Services as a social worker slash child abuse investigator, which really opened my, my eyes to the system. And what are you doing now? Right now, I... I am the proud owner and president of TEG Consultants. What I have done is I've taken my experience as a social worker, and now I help families who have been wronged by Child Protective Services, and I help them figure it out and come and testify if I have to or write reports if I have to. And I also work on uh, civil lawsuits. Uh, federal civil lawsuits uh, against uh, county uh, child welfare agencies.
0: Very good. What's your um, – if I were a listener and I wanted to get in, get a hold of you and talk to you, uh, why don't you give us your office number and your email address?
2: My office number is 951 2379 my website is pegconsultants.org, all one word, and my email is t e g r e e n s t e
0: i n at yahoo.com. Terry, I didn't really understand when you said your email address. Did you say P or T? T. Okay, give the it's email not, address one more time. Okay.
2: It's T-E Greenstein, I was trying to spell it out, at yahoo.com. Greenstein is G-R-E-E-N-S-T-E-I-N. So it's T
0: as in Tom, E as in Edward, Greenstein, at yahoo.com. Perfect. Thank you, Terry. Terry, one of the things that you just said a few moments ago that when you work for the county of Riverside, for child protective services, that you that it quote opened your eyes. What did you mean by that? Well, I think I was pretty naive when
2: I started uh, working for the county as far as child abuse, and um, because I was trained especially for uh, child sexual abuse and child physical abuse, um, I got those cases and. It opened my eyes to uh, the types of abuse that can happen to children and the mistakes that social workers make when dealing with families.
0: Can you give me an example of uh, some mistakes social workers make when dealing with families?
2: Well, here it is. Social workers today, there's a very high turnover. It's a very... It is a very difficult job. It is very stressful. There are time constraints that you do have to follow, because there's money involved. Um, And they do get trained, but they get out there in the real world where they really get the experience of how to handle families and how to handle these situations. They burn out and they leave. So all you have is these new people that are coming in who, yeah, they know the textbook stuff, but the textbook stuff goes out the window once you walk out the door. And they're just not not trained right. And everything has to go through the supervisors now. Why is that um, a problem? The reason that the problem is that the social worker's power to make decisions out in the field has been severely limited since I was a worker. When I was a worker, my supervisors used to trust me to go out there and look at the situation and make a decision. Now, a lot of times, the social worker can't make a decision unless they talk to the social their their uh, supervisor first, which takes away a lot of the
0: social worker power to make decisions. You know, you said that there's money involved. What does money have to do with social workers doing their job? Okay, here's here's
2: the part that really gets to me. The funding goes like this: it goes from federal to the state. And then down to the 58 counties here in, in uh, California. Now, they, 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 the only way really that Child Protective Services gets paid are two things the investigations, the initial investigation with the allegations, and adoptions. Now, with investigations, you're only allowed 30 days. After 30 days, the funding stops. And if a social worker goes over 30 days, believe me, not only will the social worker supervisor hear about it, but the assistant regional, it goes from the top down because money is the all-important thing. And they actually come out, because there is a statewide computer system, all they have to do is pull up your name and your and your uh, caseload, and it tells you how many 30 days, and they give you a nasty email, and it gets very nasty after 30 days.
0: You know, when you said money is involved, are we talking about a lot of money? You know, I don't
2: I don't know exactly, but I understand. The bulk of the the bulk of the money that that the uh, county gets is for investigations. They don't get a lot of money for after the after the uh, child is detained, if the child is detained, just adoptions and investigations.
0: Terry, have you ever seen a video that um, was on the internet, and I think Facebook made. The attorney take it down. There's there's an attorney down in San Diego. Um, he's one of the gurus in suing social workers for civil rights. His name is Sean McMillan. Have you heard about Sean McMillan?
2: Yes. Um, I have never spoken directly to Sean, but I've sent him emails. I'm um, on his website, kind of thing. I signed into his website. Um, and I would love to do some work for them. San Diego um, has a lot of problems down there, too, with the the county uh,
0: welfare agency. Right. Well, uh, several years ago, maybe two, three years ago, it seems like, Sean took the deposition of the person I'll call the chief financial officer for Orange County uh, CPS. Uh And at this videotape deposition, worker or employee of CPS explains the money flow, explains how they make money on these cases at every stage. Have you ever seen that, that, that videotape deposition on the Internet? No, and I would love to see it. You know, I'm going to I'm gonna try to find it. I'm going to also tell my listeners, um, y'all should try to find it as well, because it's very, very informative. It tells you, basically, that it explains this whole system from a money perspective. You know, a lot of people would just normally think, hey, we, the social services is doing what they do to um, protect children. But once you listen to this dep- deposition of this chief financial officer of CPS Orange County, you realize that that's not the case. And, you know, you see how the money plays and impacts every level of a CPS case um, in counties here in California. A lot of people would think, well, maybe that's just Orange County. No, this model is a, is a universal model that I think is used by not only Orange County, but all counties in the state of California, if not all counties and states in the nation. Terry, so presently you have your consulting services. Um, without mentioning names, are you working on any uh, cases that might be interesting, the story or the background to our listeners?
2: Uh, yes, I'm working on a case right now. Um, basically, this was a child sexual abuse case or investigation, and the social worker did not follow protocol at all. There are specific since, let me back up since the McMartin incident back in the mid 80s, Forensic interviewing of children has really developed into not only an art, but a science. And that came out of of that incident. The social worker in this case um, did not do a forensic interview and uh, really, I, I have to say, really messed up The case, because the information is so convoluted now, the child was interviewed more than once, which you're not supposed to do, basically on a uh, child sex sex abuse uh, investigation is what we do, a minimal field interview with the child. And we just get the basic facts, and if the child admits sexual abuse, we stop the interview right there, And we coordinate with law enforcement. And we do, in Riverside, which is, we did an RCAP, which basically was an intervention team. And we had a forensic social worker. And we would have the room with a double glass. And the uh, detective and I would sit in one room and the forensic interviewer would sit in the other room and interview the child. One interview, that's it, minimal trauma to to a child. Now, in this case, they did everything backwards, and I don't understand why the children are still removed from the parents. So that's that's what I'm going to be testifying about. The uh, social worker made many, many mistakes in policy and procedure, and that's what will get them.
0: I want to thank you for calling in today and sharing some of your experiences with us. Why don't you tell us one more time your uh, telephone number and your uh, email address, in case our listeners or you know want to hire you or talk to you about you know se- separate cases that they're working on?
2: Sure. Uh, again, the uh, website is tegconsultants.org, all one word. My phone number is 951-236-2379. And my email is tegreenstein at
0: com. Terry, thank you very much for calling in. Hopefully we can get you back on the show in a few weeks. We can talk about other subjects.
2: Oh, I would love to. I have a, a, a list of mistakes people make when dealing with child protective services, and I would love to talk about that, so the uh, audience has a defense when the social worker knocks on the door.
0: You know what, Terry? We should have talked about that today. You know what? I, I'd like to develop, do, devote a whole show to that. How about we do it next Saturday? It sounds great to me. Okay, I'll call you offline and we'll talk about it. I'm sure our listeners would like to hear, from a social worker's perspective, what not to do when dealing with CPS.
2: Exactly. This
0: will help anybody. Thank you, Terry. Soon. All right, thank you, Van. Have a good day. Bye bye. Wow, I wish he, I wish I would have known he wanted to talk about that. How we could. That's a show just by itself, and we'll try to do that next Saturday. So if you're listening today, next Saturday we're going to have a 14-year retired Child Protective Services uh, worker tell us what not to do when we have contact with uh, social workers. You know, we're running out of time. We did start a few moments late. I'm going to try to get one more call. Um, it's from area code 415, ending in 1-7. Good morning. This Hello. This is Attorney ben Hi, this is Attorney Vincent Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask?
3: Actually, I have a question to ask. Go ahead. Um, sorry, I'm trying to adjust my phone. Um, there is a case that you have on your radio show where um, the children were removed and not um, offered reunification um, and through filing of a writ, or intend to file a writ and um, all of that mess that comes after that. The court hearing or the court was placed on a stay by the appellate court. I'm in a very similar situation um, and the stay is upheld the San Mateo count or the San Mateo County Court now for over four months, five months. I'm wondering how long makes this stay can go and what, what to do uh, whether, what these, what happens in the meantime with um, the children as far as they're, they're just waiting in limbo. It seems as though until we get back, we get any answer from the appellate court.
0: Okay. So this is what happened in the case that we're currently involved in. It happened. I won't say a lot, but you know, uh, it happens, um, enough where I would say it's frequently, Frequent. So we're at usually what's called the 366.26F hearing, and that's the hearing, you know, the last hearing whether the children are going to be returned to the parents or whether they're going to be sent out for a permanent plan, which is usually adoption. And they schedule a 366.26 hearing to terminate the rights. Well, in the case that we're involved with, the court ruled against my client and set the case for the 26 hearing. In the interim, we filed an emergency, well, it's not an emergency, but it's a writ, and usually those are are, are appellate proceedings that are um, heard on a very quick basis, and we filed a writ, and the Court of Appeals decided to stop all proceedings in the trial court. So, you know, the hearing to terminate the parents' rights was coming up, and so the the Court of Appeals ordered that no further hearing should take place while they decide on, you know, how to rule in the case. Now, there are two basic ways they could rule, but really an infinite number of ways they can rule. They could rule that um, the court down below made a mistake and, you know, people should get family reunification services or that the children should be returned to them. Or the court could rule, you know what, we've thought about it and the court down below ha- didn't make a mistake you can proceed with the termination of the clearance' rights. And there's a lot of things that could happen that are in between that. So your okay. question was how long your question was how long could the stay last? It could it could last I won't say forever because that would be exaggerating, but could it could it could last for months. I mean at some point the Court of Appeals has to make a decision and there's a time frame for that to happen usually as well. While you are in, while this is all happening, you and you and the children are in limbo. However, I would say this you should talk to your attorney about taking advantage of the stay because there's a lot of things that you could be doing in case the Court of Appeals rules against you and decides that you should have the hearing to terminate your parental rights or to permanently replace your children. For example, you could be participating in services and then file a 388 petition during all of this time that says something like return the children or give me further family reunification services. So during this period of the day, it would be my recommendation for you to talk to your attorney to make sure that you're not wasting any time and that you're actually doing something in case the Court of Appeals rules against you. Does that make sense?
3: Yes, actually, that's exactly what I have been doing in the process. I've been, God, I've completed three parenting courses, and because they said initially it was mental health, I've completed an outpatient program for mental health. Um, and a lot of other programs is to show that I am being proactive in this time that I'm waiting for this answer.
0: Um, okay. Hold on. Let me tell you one thing because I'm running out of time. One of the things that you should do, in my opinion, based on what you've said this morning, is you must go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist and be evaluated, and have that person evaluate you and and make a give an opinion to the court or to the world of whether you're a danger to the children or you're a risk to the children, or whether you could take your children and take care of them without any problems. I'm not a mental health professional. Um, but, you know, talking to you, you don't sound like there's an issue to me of you having a mental problem. You know, you're, we're having a conversation. And it's good processing. And
3: I have done that as well. I have okay. five did mental you, health professionals okay. that have already written statements to prove that as well. So what um, my, you, I know what that the stay you? has lasted like six months now. And in the process, we've been given an adop, uh, an adoption specialist as our social worker. And that although the judge has increased. My ability to see my children, against the CPS wishes, um, they they told me and awarded me more visits with my children, but said uh, it will during the week be up to any more past that at the agency's discretion. And this the account, the social worker from CPS is trying to force my parents to adopt, which they won't do, and won't allow me any more visitation with my children in during the stay.
0: Talk to your attorney about this because I'm running out of time. Talk to your attorney okay. about number new 388 petition, attaching everything that you've done, including your psychological assessments, and uh, ask for more reunification services or the child to be returned and more visits. The second thing you have to talk to your attorney about is filing for what's called a bonding study. And just as you decide, a couple of opinions that because your your parents won't adopt the child means that the social workers cannot take the child away from them and place it with a family who will adopt. Okay?
3: they I'm cannot. Out
0: of time. Okay. If you have any further questions, give me a call at 888-888-6582. Also check me out on YouTube. I have a lot of videos that cover questions that people generally ask about these CPS proceedings. Also visit my website, fightchildprotectiveservices.com uh, and fcps.lawyer. And give us a call if you have any questions. I can talk to you personally. Ma'am, thank you for calling. Thank and you. We'll see, we'll see you and the rest of the audience next week on the radio.
3: Thank you.